those of us who would call ourselves Christians and say we're followers, we're disciples, is that we, we really take seriously this idea that, that, that we're supposed to be generous with what we've been given. That we're not, Jesus said, like, you're the light of the world, you've been given this amazing message, don't hide it away. Don't just, you know, Jesus said, who, who lights a lamp and then puts something on top of it? It's madness. If you're going to light a lamp, let it shine. And, and the whole idea is, is that Jesus is talking about Christians letting their light shine. Um, which can mean anything from um, good works, so just you know, doing things to help others, to, to show the love of Christ, um, to sharing the gospel, sharing the good news in terms of the message. And we're really, really serious about that, and kind of not, we're not sort of ashamed of it, but we're, we're grappling with it as a church. What does it look like? How can, we, how can we do that effectively? How can we do that in a way which actually blesses people? And it doesn't just kind of look like we're just trying to force something on people and all of that. So we're grappling with it. We're working it through as a church, and we've been doing that the last couple of, last couple of weeks. First week, we looked at this scene. Jesus said just before he, um, after he um, died on the cross and rose from the dead, he appeared to his disciples, and just before he went, um, ascended to be back uh, with the Father in heaven, he said to his disciples, as the Father sent me, I'm sending you. Which is amazing. If you think about you know, all, all that it meant for Jesus to come, he said, just in the same way I've been sent, I'm sending you. And that's something that's been ringing in our ears as, as Christians. Well, what does it mean to represent Jesus? What does it mean to... Because I think a lot of people, even that, that don't love and follow Jesus, are attracted to Jesus. So I want to find out now. Often... Those people aren't attracted to the church, but when they read things Jesus said or, or done, there's something in there that thinks, I like that. And as Christians, we're living with this sense that Jesus has said, I'm sending you into the world. Marnie, hello, great to see you. Would you mind shutting the door for us, darling? Thank you, that's great. Um, it's all kicking off out there. So, uh, we'll lead into it. Um, so, what does it mean to be, to be sent to the world? So, we, we grappled with that. Last week, um, Dave Mance was just talking to us about the fact that it's, really actually quite hard for us, being honest as Christians, to, to consistently share the good news. That, like everyone else in the world, it, it, we, it's tempting for us to get distracted, to get weighed down with just the cares and the anxieties, to just get into survival mode, you know, or to just succumb to selfishness. It's easily done. And so the challenge of, of, of remaining kind of um, compassionate and, and generous is, is, is a real one. It's a, it's a, even if you, you know Jesus, you've been forgiven, you've been filled with the Holy Spirit, it doesn't just mean that you just kind of automatically, you're always feeling generous and compassionate. Actually, it's a, real, it's a genuine um, uh, wrestling match, in a spiritual sense, to, to, to keep walking in that. And we were looking at that last week. And um, what I want to look at, I want us to dream together this because of church. You up for doing a bit of dreaming? Yeah. All right, great. Well, I was a dream, what would it look like if as a church, if all of us as individuals that are part of the church, we said, you know what, the stuff we've heard the last couple of weeks, we really want to take seriously. We really want to actually engage with it and apply it. We don't want to just say, oh yeah, amen, do the spiritual thing, sing a song, go home and live the same way. We want to actually apply this stuff and really take these things seriously. What would it look like? What would this church look like? And so I want to, I want to use a story from the Gospel of John. It's going to come, words are going to come up on there if you haven't got a Bible with you. I'm going to just read it through. Um, I know there's a lot of words and there's a few more pages like that, but if, if that's overwhelming, just close your eyes and listen to a good story. All right? Um, so I'm going to be from John chapter 4, and um, Jesus is travelling, and we're going to go from verse 5. So he came to a town of Samaria called Sychar, this is Jesus, near the field that Jacob had given to his son Joseph. Jacob's well was there, so Jesus, wearied as he was from his journey, because Jesus was fully human, 
Okay, people often get the fact that Jesus was divine, but sometimes they don't think he was really human. I think he was kind of pretending, no, he was fully human, just like you and us. So he was wearied from his journey. He was sitting beside the well, and it was about the sixth hour, that's noon. There came a woman from Samaria to draw water, and Jesus said to her, Give me a drink. For his disciples had gone away into the city to buy food. The Samaritan woman said to him, How is it that you, a Jew, ask for a drink from me, a woman of Samaria, for Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. There's a big race, tension, ethnic thing going on there. Jesus answered her, if you knew the gift of God and who it is that's saying to you, give me a drink, you would have asked him and he would have given you living water. The woman said to him, sir, you have nothing to draw water with and the well is deep. Where do you get that living water? Are you greater than our father, Jacob? He gave us the well and drank from it himself as did his sons and his livestock. Jesus said to her, Everyone who drinks of this water will be thirsty again, but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty forever. The water that I will give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life. The woman said to him, Sir, give me this water so that I will not be thirsty or I have to come here to draw water. Jesus said to her, Go and call your husband and come here. The woman answered him, I have no husband. Jesus said to her, You're right in saying I have no husband, for you've had five husbands. And the one you now have is not your husband. What you've said is true. The woman said to him, Sir, I perceive that you're a prophet. Our fathers worshipped on this mountain, but you say in Jerusalem is the place where people ought to worship. Jesus said to a woman, Believe me, the hour is coming when neither on this mountain nor in Jerusalem will you worship the Father. You worship what you don't know. We worship what we know, for salvation is from the Jews. But the hour is coming and is now here when the true worshippers will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For the Father is seeking such people to worship him. God is spirit. And those who worship him must worship in spirit and truth. The woman said to him, I know that Messiah is coming. He is called Christ. When he comes, he will tell us all things. Jesus said to her, I who speak to you am he. Just then his disciples came back. They marveled that he was talking with a woman. Right? It's because in those days you didn't do that. Not only did Jews not talk to Samaritans, men wouldn't publicly just start a conversation with a woman. So he's doing something really controversial here. But no one said to Jesus, what do you seek or why are you talking with her? So the woman left the water jar and went away into town and said to the people, come, see a man who told me all that I ever did. Can this be the Christ? They went out of the town and were coming to him. Meanwhile, the disciples were urging him, saying, Rabbi, eat. He said to them, I've got food to eat that you don't know about. So the disciples said to one another, has anyone brought him something to eat? They're great. They always get it wrong. Jesus said to them, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to accomplish his work. Don't say there's yet four months and then the harvest. Look, lift up your eyes. See the fields are white for harvest. Already the one who reaps is receiving wages and gathering fruit for eternal life so that sower and reaper may rejoice together. For here the saying holds true. One sows and another reaps. I sent you to reap that for which you did not labor. Others have labored and you've entered into their labor. Many Samaritans from that town believed in him because of the woman's testimony. He told me all I ever did. So when the Samaritans came to him, they asked him to stay with them. And he stayed there two days. And many more believed because of his word. And they said to the woman, it's no longer because of what you said that we believe. For we have heard for ourselves. And we know this is indeed the saviour of the world. Father, thank you for this beautiful story. We pray that as we just look at it today, that it would just bring fresh life into our bones. Amen. I want to just say three things that this woman did. I want to look at the woman here. More than Jesus, I want to just look at the woman as an example of what it's like 
to um, meaningfully engage with sharing what Jesus has done. Because this woman, she's totally taken by surprise. She's out there in the midday heat drawing water. She's probably out there drawing water at midday, which is when no one in their right mind in that part of the world goes out because it's so hot. She's probably there because she's a bit of an outcast in the town. And she's an outcast in the town because she's been married five times and it's not worked. And now she's living with a guy she's not married with, which in that culture, a load of shame. So she's probably out. She's, she's an outcast. She's out there doing this. And suddenly this mysterious Jewish man strikes up this conversation about living water. It's, she didn't see it coming. But as soon as he speaks into her heart and she recognizes this man knows, she says to the people in the town, he told me everything I ever did. Well, actually, he just said, you've had five husbands. And then, now the one you're with isn't. You think, well, surely she did more than that. Probably for her, this was the main narrative of her life. This, was, this is probably, you know, all of us have things that go around our head about, if I said, what goes around your head about you? <laughs> You'd have this, probably this thing that's a bit repetitive and this is, I live with this. This is what she would have lived with. So when he goes straight to that, boom. As we were singing songs earlier today, I was reminded of a scripture and it says this, that he who steals, steal no longer. And I felt the Holy Spirit Tell me that there's someone here today, and that is the narrative of your life. You're a thief. And uh, the Lord wants to say to you today, no more. Why? Because he wants you to know, firstly, that he knows your heart, he knows your life. And, uh, in, and he also wants to promise you a brand new life where you haven't got to live like that anymore. So I just feel, you've got to hear that, okay? That's not m- some guru thing. That's just a gift of the Holy Spirit. He just whispered it to me during one of the songs. And it's because he knows you, cares about you, and he wants you to know um, that, you know, as with Jesus and this woman, he knows all you've ever done and he wants to give you a new life. So anyway, um, so the woman, she, she goes back into town. She does three things. Um, the first two things she did, does is this. She goes public about Jesus, doesn't hide it. Suddenly there's this thing. But she goes public and she shares her story. She, she shares with the rest of the town, this is what happened to me. I've met Jesus and this is what's happened. And we've been looking at that the last couple of weeks. And um, I, I wanted to just say, this the, to just if you're a believer, to go public about Jesus with your story is hugely important. And what you mustn't do is fall into the trap of thinking, well, do you know what? I'm just not that sort of person. I, 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 I'm, I'm not that loud type. It's not about loud or quiet. It's not about personality. It's about the Holy Spirit giving you courage. And I've, I've asked Alice if she'll just come and tell us a story or two uh, about going public for Jesus. And I deliberately asked Alice because Alice is probably the last person that you'd think in terms of loudness. Um, Alice is very quiet and naturally would, would be probably tucked away in a corner somewhere, I guess. Yeah? Um, but the Holy Spirit's given a great courage. So I just wanted to just share a story or two just to, for our encouragement. Over to you, Alice. Thanks, Steph. Thank you. Um, so, yeah, I'm just going to share. Is this loud enough? I don't feel um Maybe this speaks. I just want to share a bit about my story and what God's done in my life and the freedom that he's brought me. And from that, the freedom that I'm able to share him with other people. So to give you a bit of context and a bit of background, I, in my teenage, in my childhood years, I was really confident. And in my teenage years, I hit just a wall of anxiety and I really struggled for years. I would have panic attacks. I couldn't, I had insomnia. I couldn't sleep a lot of the time. I was just nervous about a lot of things. I, I couldn't go into places because I, I was so nervous. Usually about those things, I was nervous that I would have a panic attack or I'd faint or 
yeah, all those kind of things. So I was living in a lot of fear, and I felt normal at the time because it was all I ever knew. Um, and I know my mum tried every like, alternative therapy possible to try and heal me. She's not a Christian. Um, but nothing worked. And I kind of went along in life. And if you met me at that time, you would not have known because I, I hid it very well. So I, I, if, I, if I was feeling really insecure, then I would hide away and no one would know about it. Um, but I was filled with a lot of shame and um, just worthlessness. And I, I wouldn't be able to go into places and feel like I was worth anything. I just felt really worthless and insignificant and boring and that people would just reject me. And I had a huge fear of rejection and of people. I was petrified people would not like me. Um, but I managed to hide it really well, went through life. Fast forward to uh, my university days, and as you get older, you do get a bit more confident, so I was, things were getting easier, um, but I was still unconsciously living with a lot of fear. And I met some Christians, and long story short, over the few months that I got to know them, I realised that I just got filled with faith. So I, I think over six months I would meet up with one girl and just ask my questions. I had a lot of problems with Christianity. So I used to barrage her with questions and arguments, and um, she was very gracious. And eventually I just was filled with so much faith that there was a God and that he really loved me and that he healed and that he was amazing and that I wanted to give my life to him. So I did, and I was filled with the Holy Spirit, and it was amazing. Um, and then a few, probably about six weeks later, I had to give my testimony. Um, I, went, I got baptized um, in the sea down in Exeter, and I suddenly realized I'm going to have to give my testimony. And all my family came, so my friends drove up. Um, my, fr- my university friends came. They were all hungover because they'd all been out the night before. Like, it was a big deal. Everyone came. My family, my mum and dad drove up from Dorset. My sister came. Like, everyone came that was significant in my life. And then I suddenly realised, goodness, I'm going to have to speak publicly. And I, I can't. Like, it crippled me, the thought of getting up and speaking in front of people. I just thought I... I, I honestly thought... I don't even know if I want to become a Christian anymore. It was it crippled me that much. I felt sick. I was shaking. I was like, I just don't think I can do this. Um, and one of the friends that had helped um, bring me to Jesus said, well, we're going to pray for you and God can take your fear away. And so they did. They just prayed a really simple prayer. And God just did an amazing thing and brought me such peace. And I was able to stand up as I am now and preach without fear and not preach. <laughs> wasn't that good. Um <laughs> was able to tell my testimony without fear and with complete peace and it was amazing and I remember thinking wow this is amazing and loads of things have happened since then and it's like it's like an onion like God just peeled away fear in my life year, year after year um and and has been doing that ever since and like I'm here now and I'm not nervous and I can sing like I could never sing in front of people I was just so scared of getting in front of people and I've just seen more and more truth and believed less lies. I realized how many lies I was believing about that I was worthless and all these lies I'd managed to convince myself were true. Um, So then moving forward, trying to share that with people so my family don't believe and they can sometimes be quite hostile and think that they're amazing, that they're completely beautiful and I love them so much, but they're very hostile towards Christianity and uh, the devil can sometimes use that against me and really put me down and they'll say, you know, people will say things like, oh, why are you praying? It's a waste of your time. Why have you given your life? Why are you spending so much time with the church? You're wasting your time. And all these things that kind of can make you feel like you don't want to share with them because you get rejected. (laughs) And to be rejected by people that you really love is really hard. But God has given me a boldness 
that is like directly from heaven and I'm able just to testify to them and to pray for them when they need prayer and um, it's not for me <laughs> it's totally not for me it's just this boldness that he's given me um, and it's available for anyone so if anyone suffers from anxiety he really can bring you peace and there's one um, example of just there's so many examples but there's one example today that I wanted to share was I was I worked for an international development charity and I was on a trip to the Gulf um, I had to do an event out in Abu Dhabi and it was a short short trip like three days and I was exhausted and I flew I came to church and then I flew over on the Sunday night and then I had three days intense work and then I flew back on the Thursday morning and I was so tired I just thought this is a seven hour flight and all I want to do is just sleep and um I live with Susie, and Susie and I don't have a TV at home, despite her being a film director. <laughs> um, and don't tell anyone that. And um, I, all I was looking forward to was like, oh, I can watch films, I can have a sleep, I can have a nice meal. And then uh, at the time I was reading this Bill Johnson book about healings, and I thought there was just something that checked me in my head, and I thought, unless you want to do something, God. And that's kind of against my will, but it was like, your will be done. If you want me to speak to someone, then... That give me the courage and you pave the way and I'm sitting there and I'm on this full plane and all the seats are full and I'm like oh there's no one next to me this is fine I'm going to be able to have a really nice flight and then this guy this big guy gets on and he has a sling his arms in a sling and I just think uh oh <laughs> and then I look around and there's like no other seats except the seat next to me and I'm like oh here we go and um he came and sat down and he introduced himself and we started talking and then we took off and everyone else because it, it, I don't know why everyone else went to sleep it must have been a night it can't have been a night I don't know anyway everyone else seemed to go to sleep and it was just us and we chatted for like the whole seven hours it was incredible and God just gave me energy and grace and boldness um but one of the things he I felt God say to me he kind of gave me a word of knowledge at the beginning and said, don't, I said to him at the beginning, what do you want me to say to this man? Like, this is obviously a divine appointment. What do you want me to say to him? And he said, don't tell him you're a Christian just yet. Just listen to his story. And so I asked him a load of questions and he really opened up and told me all about his life and a lot of his brokenness. And, and part of that story was that he really hated Christians. <laughs> and um, then I was like, ah, oh, that's why that's why God told me not to do that. And then he, I asked him about his um, arm and um, about, he was into, he was from Mauritius, so he was into a bit of Buddhism, a bit of Hinduism. And I asked him about what they, the Hindus and the Buddhists believe in healing. And then I was able to share with him testimonies of how God's healed in my life. He's healed me of loads of things, um, and I was able to share those stories with him and just build faith, I guess. And then at the end, I said to him, C can I pray for you and um, for your arm to be healed? And he said, oh, no, like it's been in like this for months, and it'll be in like a sling for another four months, and I'm going to the hospital tomorrow, and there's no nothing can be done. And I said, well, can I pray? And he said, no, no, I don't want you to. He was too embarrassed. Um, and I think at this point, everyone on the whole flight is listening to us because everyone else is silent. And he said, no, you can pray when you get home tonight. So I did. And um, and then he contacted me on Facebook <laughs> um, a few days later. And I said, he didn't mention anything. And I said, How, how's your arm? And he said, oh, it's better. It's been taken out the cast, which was amazing. Um, and so, yeah, I don't want to ramble on too much. Um, but just wanted to testify about the boldness God has given me, despite my introvertness and my... Um, tendency to be quiet um, he gives me an incredible boldness just to speak truth and 
to bring him into situations. Even this week, I was with my boss and um, my colleague at work, and we were talking about anxiety, and he really struggles with anxiety. And uh, I said, what would it feel like? Do you, do you even want peace? Or what would it feel like for you to have peace? And he said, oh, I've never had it. I don't know. What, I'm scared that it will be numb. Like everything, I won't be able to feel the highs and the lows. That everything will just be numb. And I was able to explain to him that, no, like when you have peace, it's like this steadfast. So that in, in the really hard times, you have this anchor and this steadfast peace. And then in the really good times, you have someone to celebrate it with. And um, yeah, so that's it. I'm probably gone too long. Sorry. No, 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 brilliant. Thank you very much. That's great. That's great. Fantastic. Thank you. So I'm just going to look at one. That's the two things there covered in Alice's story, this whole idea of just going public and, and, and sharing your stories. Wonderful. Thank you. And I just want to just, one other thing that the lady did is that she then said to her, her community, come and, come and see Jesus. She's just made a very simple invitation. Come and see the one who told me everything I ever did. And I want to just look about, you know, this whole idea of, of inviting people to find Jesus or inviting people along to, I don't know, to, how, do, how do we do that? For this woman, it was easy. Jesus is there physically outside the town. Come, come and see him. Um, actually, if you think about it, it's not as easy as that. Why? Because it wasn't only Jesus there. It was his really awkward disciples that were there as well. But somehow Jesus still shone through and many people came to know him. Um, but what does it look like for us to, well, actually, the Bible says that the church is the body of Christ. So, what does it mean to, to, for people to see Jesus? Well, Jesus has promised to concentrate his presence in his body among his people. And so the whole idea is, as crazy as it sounds, guys, I know it sounds crazy, but for people to meet Jesus, a p- big part of that is for them to meet people who Jesus lives in, believers, which is just massively terrifying, is it not? It really is, because at the end of the day, a lot of people have hostility towards Jesus or Christianity because of certain Christians they've met. Am I right? If you, if you really push to say, why, why, why do you feel like this? They'll talk about a bad experience with a Christian or, the, or things they've heard about Christians. And so I want to just look at how do we, okay, but in, Jesus' plan is, is that people come and are around us and, and that there's some sort of impact. So what does that look like. I want to just spend the rest of the message on this, and then we're done. Mark Driscoll, who's a a, a pastor from the the USA, he says this, he says, the transformed lives of people in the church are both the greatest argument for and the greatest explanation of the gospel. You hear that? The transformed lives of people in the church are the greatest argument for the gospel and the greatest explanation of it. People are called to come and see the transformed lives of God's people before they are called to repent of their sin and trust in God. Taking a cue from dating is helpful at this point. If we want people to be happily married to Jesus as his loving bride, it makes sense to let them go out on a few dates with him instead of just putting a shotgun to their heads, ask them to hurry up, put on a white dress and look happy for the photos. Yeah, just... There, there is a, a journey a lot of people have to go on in terms of coming to Christ where they need to be around Jesus, which how do you do that? Well, it's being around the church, where they get to see what is this really about, really? Okay, we know they sing songs, we know that, but what is it really like to live with Jesus, to follow him? People have probably heard a lot, read a lot, but the people need to see it. People need to be around Christ, the Christian life. 
And uh, it's important that when people that don't know Jesus are around the Christian life, that we, that we just are normal as we normally would be. That we don't start acting. Either, that we don't start acting either like super spiritual, just go weird. We don't do that because it's just stupid. And it's pretending and God hates it. And people, it's just, it's ridiculous. No, there's no good in it. Or you go the other thing where you just try and dumb the whole thing down to be cool. That is lame. That is almost as lame as pretending. Just, we're just called to simply be who we are. Which, if this gospel is the real gospel, and Jesus is transforming our lives, and we just let that flow out naturally, and if this is what it is, then it's going to have an impact. Am I right? It's true. Other, or, or this isn't. Or this is just some weird thing we've got into. In which case, let's all go home. But if this is the gospel, then we just simply got to let the transforming work that God's doing in our lives just be natural about it, and God will use that. Mark Driscoll talks about Christians who are not ashamed of the gospel. As the, and they speak about Jesus and pray to him in front of their not-Christian friends as they would around their Christian friends. And their not-Christian friends appreciate their authenticity. They're comfortable asking them questions about the Christian life, and these Christians have earned the right to give answers as a result of their friendship and hospitality. It's so important. And here's another thing as well, that as, as, as those who are called to reach people and share the gospel, it's not a sales pitch. It's not, it's not, it, you realise it's not sales in fact, the New Testament in the Bible, it says clearly, the, the Apostle Paul says, we're not salesmen. It, we're not, it's, that's not what it's like. In fact, a very close member of my family is in advertising. They, they don't love Jesus. They're in advertising. When I became a Christian, they said to me, what you're doing is a bit like what I'm doing, really, isn't it? Just a different product. And from the moment they said it, something inside me just said, screamed. No. It really isn't that. It's the last thing from that. Because even if you look at Jesus and how he went about things, it's the, it's the worst sales technique ever. And I know about bad sales techniques. You can ask me, I am the worst salesman in the world. I've told you about our VW camper, haven't I? That VW camper van, it was a, people would come and look at it, we're trying to sell it, and I'd show them all the, yeah, it looks nice, but if you look around the corner there, you'll see there's some rust. And uh, this thing looks like it works, but when you, it's actually quite stiff. And I just couldn't sell it for toffee, because it's just, I want to tell the truth. And then we went, hol- we went on holiday for a couple of weeks, and said to our friend, can you just try and get rid of this? We came back and it's gone. You know, I'm not a good salesman, but Jesus wasn't either, so I'm all right about that. Listen to what Jesus says. He says this, this is not good sales technique. He says, whoever does not carry his own cross... And come after me, cannot be my disciple. Which one of you, when he build, wants to build a tower, doesn't first sit down and calculate the cost to see if he's got enough to complete it? Otherwise, when he's laid a foundation and can't finish, all who observe it begin to ridicule him, saying, this man began to build and was not able to finish. See, Jesus is saying, if you're going to follow me, think about what it's going to cost you. Don't just think about an, an emotional high or a moment where you think, oh, this would be, be different or, oh, yeah, I want something new. No, think about what it's going to cost you. This is your whole life. Jesus ends that quote by saying, he says this, he says, none of you can be my disciple who does not give up all his own possessions. Now, we know when we read the Gospels and people following Jesus that for everyone, that didn't necessarily mean that they had to literally sell everything then and there. For one or two, it seems Jesus did say that because they were particularly gripped by their stuff. 
But for every follower, there's this attitude of, it's not mine anymore. I'm following him. See, this, this is not good sales. But I, I actually believe that, you know, for too long, Christians have tried to tempt and cajole people in the world to come and join us and believe in Jesus as if they'd be doing God a favor. God is doing us the greatest favor in inviting us to know him. You know, you, this is, you've, got to, you've got to understand this. To know God is the most incredible privilege. To have a relationship with God. I mean, the sort of life transformation Alice is talking about is tens and tens and tens of us in this room that can testify our own story, our own thread. But Jesus has changed our life. We are the privileged ones. We really are. And the fact that God might invite us in freely to know him, that he might have made a way through the cross, through all that Jesus has done. So you can, man, that's an absolute honor and privilege. And, and if you're here and you're thinking, do I want to get involved with this? You need to know it. It's absolutely your privilege that God might invite you into his family. It absolutely is that he might want to transform you. Um, Mark Driscoll again, he says, this, he says, the assumption that everyone's a customer to be marketed is a, is a great pitfall for those who proclaim the gospel. Because we tend to cast God as a product and as mainstream a product as possible. But, we, but as we cultivate a counterculture, we must not forget what people most need is to die to themselves and live for God. If we simply give people what they want, we won't be giving them what they need. We've just got to be honest about this. Because of our selfishness, we're in huge trouble. We're cut off from God. We're in loads of moral debt to him. That debt's getting bigger and bigger every day. The last thing we need is someone to share the gospel to us and say, yeah, you can follow Jesus and still live for yourself. You can't. You absolutely can't. If you want to follow Jesus, it is life in all its fullness, but it involves yourself being dethroned and Jesus being enthroned. And that's what you were made for. It's beautiful. And everything changes. Why? Because the center of your universe changes. Everything begins to orbit around him instead of either you or your boyfriend, your girlfriend, your career, whatever other thing it is you worship. Suddenly you're centering around the one who, who is worthy of worship and everything finds its level. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. Jesus would do, mir- do miracles, Jesus would, would feed the hungry, Jesus would do all these amazing things, and then thousands and thousands would gather. And then when they gathered, what he would do then, he would then bring this really like extreme teaching just to see who really wants to be with me. So one time, thousands followed him, and he started saying things like this. Truly, truly, I, see, I say to you, unless you eat my flesh and drink my blood, you've got no life in yourselves. It didn't go down too well. People just got freaked out, thought, what is this boat talking about? You know, and it says that thousands, many, many, many left. So in the end, it seems like only the 12 disciples were left. And then Jesus says t- to the 12, you don't want to go away also, do you? Listen to Simon Peter's answer. Lord, to whom shall we go? You've got the words to eternal life. Where are we going to go? You might be bringing this strong teaching about, you know, only life can be found in you and giving up all our possessions, but you've got the words to eternal life. There's nowhere else to go. We want to follow you. And as we invite people into our church and into our, our life as a, as a community of people, we've got, to, we've got to be true to the gospel. We've got to be, we've got to absolutely be utterly welcome and be true to the gospel. It's a powerful, powerful thing. God will use it. God will use it. I want to just finish by break, looking at, okay, what, is it, what does it look like on a, on a, to invite people and have people around us 
on a, on a Sunday. Well, it should be normal for us as a church meeting to have just committed disciples in the room, uh, as uh, people in the room that don't aren't quite sure where they're at. Maybe they've gone to church all their life, so they're here, but they're just trying to figure out what do I believe. Others that are from totally either different religion backgrounds or unbelieving backgrounds and just want to find out more. That should be completely normal and increasingly the case on a Sunday. Um, And in this setting on a Sunday, the gospel will be clearly proclaimed. Some will be put off by it. Others will be saved by it. It really is as uh, incredible uh, as that. Some people, it's just like, now's not the right time. They hear it and think, I'm not ready for this and need to just go off and have some time to, to think it through. All these things... All these things are totally, totally, it's how God works. But listen to Isaiah 55 where God talks about his word. God, God says this, if we just get the slide up please. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and don't return there, but water the earth, making it bring forth and sprout, giving seed to the sower and bread to the eater, so shall my word be that goes out from my mouth. It shall not return to me empty. It shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. When God's word goes out, God's message, it always accomplishes his purpose. I mean, to be just absolutely confident in that. So even now, as I'm just speaking the Bible, we just, I just believe God, God, by his invisible Holy Spirit, will be using it to just begin to start fires in people's lives and um, start good fires, put out bad fires, just begin to bring an effect. We believe it's the word of God. That's how it works. Um, and so that's... The, and so that, Sundays, that's, that's what we're going on. Gospel communities, which is how we, one of the main ways we do church outside of a Sunday. You might think, what goes on outside of a Sunday? Well, we gather in smaller communities around this part of London. And um, on a Sunday, it's, it's just like a celebration, but it's not so much like community, because you can't really get to know each other that well. So we, we have these uh, gospel communities. And um, they should be places of where, where the Christian life, in all its blood and guts, adventure, pain, joy... Highs, lows, mystery are being worked out. If it's just a club for nice people to gather and say nice things, we're in trouble. Okay, that is not the church. The church is the pl- the church is the gathering of God's people who are who are walking in the midst of being transformed by the gospel and all the mystery that that involves. And um, they need to be settings where people who do not yet know the Lord are become part of those communities and get to really. Like Alice did with her friend, asked the questions, why? Why, why, why don't you do that? Why do you do that? Why do you believe that? Those are the conversations that need to be going on around our gospel communities. Why? Because people who don't know Jesus, they need to, need to be able to ask questions and find things out. Even if at the end they say, do you know what? I don't, I don't want to know this Jesus. That's their decision. But actually, at least it's an informed decision. And, 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 and much better than people finding out from the internet or from just biased newspaper articles that they can actually know some Christians and really trust them enough to be able to say, talk to me about this. Talk to me about the resurrection. Talk to me about healing. Talk to me about praying. Talk to me about creation. This is really important. And our church life needs to be filled with this. If it's not, then it's, it's, it, it, it's, it's clinical, it's sterile, it's not what it ought to be. It needs to be a, a, a community where the struggles that we face in following Jesus, we're laying bare. Where we're talking about, how, okay, how do you deal with depression with, well, as a follower of Jesus? How do you deal with the fact that life isn't suddenly perfect, that there's still ongoing struggle? 
and following Jesus? What does it look like to be transformed in, from one degree of glory to another? That, that's, that, that's church life. That's what it should be. That's dynamite. And um, I think we need to just honour our guests by letting them into that. And not just covering, covering that away. We need to be real and authentic. Then there's Alpha. I think Alpha is a massive, massive thing we can invite people to. It's such a brilliant tool. It's just a simple eight-week course where you know all the big questions are looked at around in little groups and answered. We're starting Alpha in the autumn. We're going to join with another local church, St. Luke's, and have a couple of tables there with them. And it's just going to be—I just think it's going to be wonderful. Um, but again, if you're maybe you're here and you're thinking I've got questions, you can come and do Alpha with us in the autumn. You can come and find me and find out details at the end. We'd love to have you on that. But for those of us that you know we've got friends and colleagues and neighbours that aren't here. Invite them to Alpha. They can just ask their questions and then they can make their decisions. And then I just think there's just the stuff of life. Just sharing our lives. Not being ghettoized in little Christian bubbles. Just sharing our lives at just parties, events, barbecues, whatever. Um, where we can just be followers of Christ. Just very naturally and just love, love and serve people. People can actually find out what this thing is about. This kind of church life forces the issue for us as Christians in two areas. Number one, it forces the issue in our authenticity. Are we really following Jesus? Or are we pretending? Are we just sort of, I don't know how to put it, doing the externals? Or in our heart, are we looking to follow? It just really does force... The issue, because if we're if we're playing and people get close to that, they'll see it, and it drags God's name in the dirt. But God's name is blasphemed as a result because people think these people are joking around; they don't mean it. Or well, they mean it on a Sunday. Or they mean it when they're in meetings, but they don't mean it other times. That's not authentic, and so it really does it really does force that issue for us. Who we are when no one's looking? Who are you when no one's looking? I'll ask you that question: Who are you when no one is looking? In there. Because this gospel, the gospel, is about heart transformation. Which leads to a totally changed lifestyle. Okay? But you know what you can do? You can just work on the externals and ignore the heart. But that's not gospel. Gospel is you let, you let Jesus just revolutionize your heart. And out of that comes a different life. And I want to just say, guys, we've really got to engage with this. And make sure that we are seeking first his kingdom. It's really important. And then secondly, it forces the issue of our generosity. There's the authenticity that it kind of... But then there's our generosity. Because we live in a very selfish city, and it's pretty normal to live selfishly. And even as believers, we can, we can just retract into ourselves. We can get into that survival mentality. Or just hang, just hang around, I don't know, you know, with other people who love Jesus, or whatever thing we might do. You know the Bible calls that burying your talents. It's burying what God's given you. It's burying it underground, rather than really investing all that you've got. And uh, the Lord wants us to really engage with the issue of having an open heart, generous heart, open homes, and um, and just to just to. There's one thing. I'll finish with this illustration: the labour ward. I've been in a labour ward twice. I fainted both times. Because it's a messy business. But the, it results in amazing life. 
And there's a scripture from Proverbs that says this. One of my favourites, Proverbs 14, verse 4. Could we have it up, please, Luke? Cheers. Where there's no oxen, the manger is clean. But abundant crops come by the strength of the ox. So if you haven't got an ox, then, then the stable's pretty clean. So, hey, look, this is great. There's no muck. No, nothing to clear up. It's just kind of like, yeah, great. You can have that kind of church life. It's neat and tidy. It's just neat and tidy. Everything's just neat and tidy. Sunday, two hours, sing, listen to a sermon, say amen, go home. Gospel community, mm, a week, maybe not. I'll go, go every other week and, you know, be nice. And, and people there are nice and they say, we'll be nice, it's easy. It's neat. It's dirt, dirt, dirt. There's no life. Or you can say, let's get an ox. And you get the ox in the stable and you go, oh, what's that? Oh, my goodness. We've got to clear that up. But then you get that ox out in the field and suddenly you just see this incredible increase. You think, wow, we're getting, there's a harvest now. You know, church, uh, I want life. I want life. I want harvest. I don't mind mess. Right? If there's life, I don't mind mess. I don't mind the mess of my own life if there's life. I don't mind the mess of other Christians if they're following Jesus. I don't mind if you're here and you're saying, I don't follow Jesus and my life's out of control. Welcome. Welcome. Let's talk about it. Let's talk about it. Yeah? Because Jesus in his love and grace reaches into the darkest corners and brings transformation. And, and, uh, and it's amazing. It's absolutely amazing. But it can be a, a bit of a mess because there's stuff that people just kind of sit on for years and try and contain it. Whereas suddenly when you just say, Jesus, okay, here we go. Look, <laughs> I give you my life. Jesus in his love welcomes you. But suddenly all these things, he's saying, right, let's go to work together. Let's sort some stuff out. That's the kind of church you want to be. That is the kind of church you want. A labor ward. Just new life, new life, new life. Yeah, it's kind of blood and stuff and vomit and all that. Yeah, but new life. Is anyone with me? All right, great.